You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity, Beyond the Wardrobe Edition. This is a special series of episodes wherein Nathan and Ben journey through the enchanted world of children's Children's fantasy fantasy literature. What will this journey bring? You'll have to come with us to find out. Yeah, Ben, what say we uh, step into this wardrobe over here? Whoa. (laughs) I'm all for it, Nathan. Stomp, stomp, stomp. What's this? We've been transported beyond the wardrobe. Into a... It looks like a farmer's garden. It's weird. We already have those in normal world. Yeah, this feels... Oh, hey, it's a mouse that's behaving slightly more human. Maybe. Yeah. Hard to tell. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Oh, look, she's got a tiny satchel. Yes. That's, that's pretty That's a human. dead giveaway. Yeah, yeah, this is not normal world. No, mice don't have satchels. I've never seen a single mice with a satchel in regular land. Nope. That means we must be talking about Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Yes, indeed. By, what's the name of this dude? Robert C. O'Brien. Oh, rats. Hey, listen, I'm Nathan, that's Ben, and we are talking about fantasy literature. This is our first children's fantasy book review that we are doing while Jake's away. The Rats of Nim will play. The Rats of Nim will play. And yeah, you can listen to the episode that came before this for to hear us talk about this series and what we're doing and why we're doing it. I assume you've already done that, so... Why don't we just get into it? Ben, what? I'm used to having buttons for this kind of thing yeah. on other podcasts, That's but right. I, I don't really have any buttons. I mean, I have, for the Sound of Sanity version of this kind of thing? I have thousands of buttons. I just don't have one that, you know, is going to... Well, I've got this one. Our old friend. That's good. Ben, what baggage do you bring to this book? I bring the baggage of having read it Many times as a kid, it was one of my favorite books when I was in elementary school. This, by the way, is a children's science fiction fantasy book from 1971, and it was the winner of the 1972 Newbery Medal. It's been Mm -hmm. adapted into The Secret of Nim, the Don Bluth film from, I believe, yes, 82. And it's about a bunch of escaped lab rats, basically. If you just didn't have that basic framework, then there you go. Mm-hmm. Now you have it. I bring no baggage to this book. All right. Besides my love of rats, my love of diabolical science experiments, uh-huh. my love of mice with satchels, my love of owls, my love of nature. Yes. Well known. No, my my love well of nature. Well, I will say to that, I generally have a love-hate, well- Depending on how animals are anthropomorphized, I can like it or dislike it a lot. And the variety that I dislike generally is the variety that this book's a weird kind of. So you got your like your white fang and your what's the other book by the way? You're like your Call Jack London stories where it's just like this is an animal. It's behaving like an animal. There's nothing that's unanimal about it. The only thing that's anthropomorphized is that the author is writing the animal's thoughts and. If an animal could think, these are the kinds of things that an animal mm-hmm. would think. And if an animal maybe even could talk, this is these are the things that are say. But it's completely animalistic 
behavior. Mm-hmm. Never, never do does the dog mm-hmm. in right. Call of the Wild deviate from what an actual dog would do. Mm-hmm. And I almost always find those kinds of books very depressing. I always hated Jack London, always hated Call of the Wild, just hated the kind of Darwinian nihilism of it, the sort of animal's going to animal mm-hmm. of it all. And, and even when books don't intend to be that way, when they simply just represent an animal's complete point of view without really humanizing it, I find that depressing oftentimes. When it comes to books that just completely anthropomorphize or humanize animals like a Redwall or something, I don't have a problem with that at all because I'm just like, eh, we're just basically just reading a book about humans, but they happen to be mice or badgers mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. But most books, I suppose, fall somewhere in between. You have things like Watership Down, which is in one sense very quasi-mythic, greater destiny sort of thing, but then in another sense very, this is what happens to rabbits in life. And it weaves those things together in a very strange way, which as a kid was a little off-putting to me, but I liked it a lot when I approached it as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I'm trying to say, except for that this particular book we're reading is a weird and even weirder mix of those two strains, those two ways that you could tell an animal's story. They're, in some ways, the animals are very just animals. Yeah. But in other ways, they're not. That's right. And some of the ways that they're not are just in this universe, they're not. And some of the ways that they're not are in this universe, there's a science experiment that made them into super animals that... No. Really are not. Really are in not. the world of the novel. Right. Yeah. And so it's one of the more interesting books to parse in that way. And I'm a little surprised I liked it as much as I did because I think I, I can find this sort of thing to be off-putting. Anyway, that's, that's my baggage. I believe you have some context for us on Robert C. O'Brien. I do. Yeah, the author Robert C. O'Brien... He was born in 1918. He died in 1973. So he didn't, that's age 55, did not die old. And he wrote only four books, which is sad. Yeah. This is, I've read three of them. This is the best of them, the best of those three anyway. And uh, I grew up reading this one. It's because it's a Newbery Award winner. It's a common thing to be on a school shelf, common thing to see at a library. Sure, yeah. It's just around. It's known it's it was maybe a little more known because of the animated don bluth film secret of nim which takes a lot of liberties and we might talk about that movie sometime on another podcast but yeah so robert c o'brien he didn't really start writing fiction till later in life he was a journalist primarily had the longest stint at national geographic and so he did a lot of journalistic writing there you go and he wrote about nature. and uh, That makes he, a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I haven't found a lot of biographical information about him, but I did find some reflections about him from his wife, who he left behind when he died, talking about the kind of person that he was. And I would say introverted, not physically strong, unable to be conscripted during World War II because of, according to Wikipedia, physical and mental ailments, but an interesting self-disciplined guy who made up stories as a kid and just wanted to make up and live in his own worlds and liked to write. And also a guy who 
really liked living in the countryside in a hermit-style life, which is a flavor that explains his books. Because in his books, the characters, the main characters, feel like isolated hermits. And the people that they meet along the way who help them are like hermits. In, in this book, our heroine, Mrs. Frisbee, the field mouse who is trying to save her sick son, Timothy, lives like most animals, pretty alone. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are other animals they know, but animals like this, are, they're often alone. She's there with her four children. Timothy gets sick, and so she ends up getting help from all these other animals, one of whom is an owl who is a prototypical wise old hermit. That's just what he is, living alone in this giant tree in the forest, known for his wisdom, but alone. And everyone in this book, I would say, feels alone. We'll talk about that more maybe when we give our takes. But there's a similar quality to Robert C. O'Brien's first book, The Silver Crown, which is a weird book. Maybe I'll say more about that, but it's about a little girl who stumbles into a strange conspiracy. And as she runs from dark forces trying to get a hold of the, the titular silver crown, she, is, she runs into all these basically hermits, these people who live alone, and they're the ones to help her and guide her and send her on her way. So it's strange. Robert C. O'Brien really liked life in the countryside, even though he did have to live and work in the city often. Um, but he liked being out there. He just liked nature. He, I did read that he didn't grow up loving nature, that he didn't grow up knowing the names of trees or flowers or anything. Mm. He learned those later in life. But it's clear that he liked to observe things and write about them. And by the time you get to Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, which was written, did you say 1971? Yes, I believe so. So he died in 1973. Uh, so by the time he's that old, he's, uh, he's locked in to learning about nature. And Mrs. Frisbee is very precise in its description. It feels very much like this is probably the farm, the family farm that he owned or the plot of land he owned that he's writing about to some extent. Like this is just very closely observed. Like this is a particular place with particular trees and grasses and shrubs. And all of his writing is like that. And it's a nice quality. I think I assumed without even thinking about it that he must have grown up as a boy keeping rats or having mice or something like that. I don't think yeah. no, it's, it's, I don't it, think that he did. It's interesting to hear that all that came to him later in life. It is so carefully observed. In a way that reminds me a little bit of UV White in Charlotte's Web and just the Right. This guy knows spiders. This guy's no like he he's not just using these as handles for the characters he wants to write. He knows these animals. Yes, yeah. So what it's what this whoever wrote this obituary or essay actually said is that it was nineteen fifty when he bought 17 acres in Virginia, and took his family. He had four kids, and uh, they were traveling out there, and then he was like, we're just going to live out here. And he did for a while until he had, for work reasons, to go back to the city. But they did farm-type stuff, and that was new to him, but he loved it. So a hermit type of a guy, interesting type of a guy. If you, the third book by him that I read is called Z for Zachariah. It was made into a movie that looks terrible, and it's more of a, like a... Mm, annoying romantic triangle kind of movie. The Early book, Margot Robbie. The book is not. The book is just a sort of po- a lonely post-apocalyptic book about a girl who meets a guy who's crazy and can't get along with. I don't know what else to say about it. And it is about 
being lonely and alone and about finding that you can't connect with the only other person who might be alive because he's a abusive jerk and then deciding to go it on your own. So I guess that's spoilers, I don't know. But that's what the book is about. And his books just have a kind of lonesome quality. I don't think he was religious. I guess he grew up in an Irish Catholic family, but that that doesn't tell you anything. And uh, I don't know. This is from his widow. There's This is a compilation of several different sketches or whatever. Yeah, I guess... I guess this is from his widow. She said he had some kind of Catholicism, but it doesn't really, you don't really know anything about him. Right. And I don't feel like I know anything about him from his books personally, Mm -hmm. except what I already said. Right. So that's Robert C. O'Brien. And he exists mainly as the author of this book to most people. And that's it. Well, let's jump in and talk into or talk about this book. It is interesting what you just said. He is remarkably reserved in passing judgment on his characters, in telling you how to feel about things. He's just, Mm. especially for a children's author, but even compared to just a regular old adult author, he is he's very spare in what he gives you. Yes, and what do you think? What was the powerful draw of this book when you were a kid that made you just return to it over and over and over again? Combination of things, but I think he evokes so well the tension that the main character feels, Mm -hmm. her vulnerability. She's just a mouse. Her son is sick, could easily die. Life is already hard. It's even harder when you're an underweight mouse child. And uh, I don't know, there's something about when a writer can put you in a situation of peril like that that's interesting, but it's it was also that combined with the sense of mystery mm-hmm. and strangeness. And I loved anything like that as a kid. Still do. So this book, it has a good hook. It starts you out. You instantly feel invested, I think, in what this lady, Mouse, mm-hmm. is going through. And then right away, you're getting introduced to the lay of the land and how she navigates her world in a really compelling way. Yeah. Really compelling way. She's going to go here and here. Now, she has to think about and avoid these dangers. But if she goes here, well, then this could happen. So you're just, it's, I think part of the quality of the book is that the author wants you to think with mm-hmm. the characters. And he just is happy for you to, he's happy to spend a lot of time in their brains. And you're not in a condescending way, but just showing you as a reader, here's how the character thinks about this and this and this. And it, it's teaching you to process Yeah, it's a process book. You're just, should I do this or should I do this? Here's the benefits of this. Here's the drawbacks of that. It just takes you through those things methodically, but not in a way that's dull or plotting, just in a way that slowly but surely draws you further into the adventure. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got this strangeness. You've got the owl. The owl is is clearly like a fantasy hermit figure. Right. You feel a lot of sympathy for Mrs. Frisbee's fear of going to an owl for anything. She's a mouse. Right. She's prey. And then you've got this other mystery, which is there are these rats. Mm -hmm. They're odd. They're doing non-rat type things. What's their deal? And then you're going to learn that Mrs. Frisbee has a connection with these rats that she did not expect or know about. And that these rats have a very strange 
and dark past and that, I guess, spoilers from here on out? Yes. Okay. Spoilers that they were... Before spoilers, yeah. should people read this book? I'd say absolutely. It's a great book. Definitely. Yeah, it's great. Okay. It really is. Spoilers, they were created by a science experiment. So, so it, they have a story to tell, mm-hmm. and you're actually going to spend several chapters hearing their story, which is compelling and weird and sad. And suspenseful. And suspenseful. Absolutely. And you're going to, and the whole time you're going to be processing it through Mrs. Frisbee, whose husband was part of the same experiments, her husband being a mouse, not a rat. Right. And you're going to feel it through her sense of loss and her sadness over the death of her husband. And, as, and she's learning about this entire part of his life, his history, that yeah. she had no idea about. But that helps explain to her the intelligence of her children. And why her husband could teach her to read and teach her about things like electricity. She's just a mouse. She didn't know about those things. He did. Mm -hmm. She didn't know why. But she didn't really ask. Yeah. Maybe he would have told her. He probably would have told her eventually. At some point. There was a reason he didn't want to. And Mm -hmm. it is kind of a... The book has a... This might sound like too high praise, but it has a kind of profound melancholy to it that is really striking and really stays with you. Uh And it has, not in a heavy-handed way, but Uh you just end up feeling the unknowable of other, uh, unknowability of other people. The idea that she was married to this guy, that she loved this guy, that she mourns his death, Mm -hmm. and yet she didn't know anything about him. And Mm -hmm. and he's not heavy-handed about that at all. But it goes along with the stuff that you've already been talking about, the kind of isolated quality, the fact that, she encounters these different animals. There's a fun kind of crow character. There's this owl. There's the rats of Nim themselves. And they their lives intersect mm-hmm. in these ways. But for me, at least, I am programmed by Disney narratives and stuff, to by Marvel movies, to expect a drawing together of these characters. That's right. For them to come together, to make a, f- a found family, to become comrades mm-hmm. in arms. And it's like they do pinball off of each other and join forces and stuff like that. But what doesn't happen is that they all come together. Everyone exists, each individual character and certainly each individual mini society exists as its own thing. And the mice are going to find other mice. The rats are going to leave and go off by themselves. The crows are just crows. Like they're just, they're busy with their crow stuff. Right. And the owl is just a loner and he's just going to, Live and die alone. With his lovely little existential bit of poetry. Yeah, yeah. He says, before he leaves after giving his counsel to Mrs. Frisbee, he says, yeah, on winter nights, I've started to hear this old oak cracking. One day it's going to fall, and I'm going to fall with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old to find a new home. <laughs> That'll be the end. And then he, le- he flies off. You never see him again. Right. It's like, man, this is a lonely and sad book. Yeah. I wouldn't want a diet of just this for a child. No. But it is true. Even my two-year-old observes when I am sad and says, Daddy's sad, and observes is observing the fact that she is sometimes sad and is learning to navigate a world that has real sadness to it. And so I think a children's book in your diet of other books that captures something of the loneliness and melancholia of life is not a bad thing. And this book is one that does that without a lot of overt despair or nihilism or violence or anything like that. No, yeah. And so I thought 
I don't know whether he was trying to do that or whether that was just in his, I have a feeling it was just in his nature to write the book this way. Yeah, me too. But it, it is a weirdly melancholy and lonely and I'm trying to avoid saying the word existential, but I suppose that captures it mm-hmm. kind of book in, in a good way, I would say, for the most part. It captures those feelings without being heavy-handed and without making you suffer too much on the character's behalf. But it does put you in touch with the brevity of life. There's mm-hmm. a moment early on where Mrs. Frisbee, by all rights, should die because she's made a mistake. As it happens, the cat is incapacitated. But mm-hmm. if the cat wasn't incapacitated by something that has nothing to do with her, then... That'd be the end of her. That would be the end of her. It's like one false move, one mistake, and your little animal life just gets snuffed out. And in describing it that way, it makes it feel more heavy-handed and intentionally sad and no edgy than it it actually feel that way. No, it just feels matter of fact about all those things, which Mm -hmm. I think is what actually gives it its power. Yeah. I think that's probably a big part of it too. As a kid, there's a solemnity to it and a seriousness to it that doesn't condescend to you. Again, I think it, it's good. Children's books shouldn't condescend in that sense to children. Right. They should just be what they are. And yeah, it's a good perspective. Life is, feels fragile and precious and irretrievable, which it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then at the end of the day, kind of lonely. <laughs> <laughs> it's remarkable. I guess we're talking spoilers. The rest of Nim go off by themselves. And Mrs. Frisbee and her family, maybe the door is left open that they might have a relationship with the rats of Nim still. Maybe. Might be part of that society one day, but also rats and mice are different. And that's not the choice that Mrs. Frisbee makes at the end of this book. She just, she's managed to save her family. The other thing that is just a striking, what's the word? Not parallel, but strikingly different than anything, than what we were programmed to read now is it's not in any way, shape or form an empowerment narrative. And I'm not saying empowerment narratives are all bad. I think we're used to thinking of empowerment narratives now as feminist empowerment narratives, but also just a classic sort of hero's journey. Luke Skywalker Mm -hmm. is that's an empowerment narrative. Wouldn't it be fun to power up? And isn't it good to power Mm -hmm. up? But this is just a story about a mother. She's not better or smarter or more special than other mothers. She doesn't learn to be concerned with a broader thing by the end of the book she doesn't discover that she she is smart yeah she is smart she is she has qualities that she's smart she's tenacious she's and she's courteous maybe that's the main one of them her main qualities yeah she's courteous she's kind she has good qualities but she's not a superhero she's not a superhero she doesn't have any special destiny besides saving her children Mm -hmm. and uh, having a relationship with these other characters that was mostly based on the fact that her husband had a relationship with these other characters. Mm-hmm. And and she's not, she doesn't have to become more than a good mother by the end of the book. She's just mm-hmm. a good mother, which is which was refreshing in its its own way. Yeah. And that's all she wanted and that's all she needed. And that's all we as her readers are supposed to need. Which I imagine for some kids might be disappointing. You do want to follow the rats of Nim into their adventures. And I do mourn the fact that this guy didn't live to write more books. I guess his daughter wrote a couple. His daughter books. wrote a couple more, and they are some people really like them, but they're they get they get quite a bit of hate. They I think that they depart a lot tonally from what Robert C. O'Brien was doing. 
I've read one or both of them. I cannot recall to, to mind. I think that I might have moderately enjoyed them. Yeah. I, I'll go ahead and say that the other two novels that I mentioned by Robert C. O'Brien that I've read, they both, they both have weak female characters. And neither, I suppose, Z for Zechariah feels a little feminist, but not in the sense you might expect. Right. Silver Crown is a 10-year-old little girl being a very weak little girl being chased. She's unusually smart and thoughtful and methodical. Like Mrs. Frisbee in that sense. Like Mrs. Frisbee is very like analytical, very, I'm going to do the next thing that makes sense. These characters are not controlled by their emotions. And all the female characters in these books are like that. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a thing that Robert C. O'Brien was and valued. It's mm-hmm. just, it's okay. To, and I, he was physically weak, which is interesting to remember. So just if you're a weak person, but if you can think and if you can form connections with the right people, and if you can think about your options and make the next best decision that you can with some courage, you have a good chance of accomplishing what you need to to survive. Mm-hmm. And all his books have that kind of quality, which is an interesting quality. Yeah, it's just you don't realize how in what short supply that quality is until you mm-hmm. encounter it. And you're like, huh, I don't read a lot of books about this. No. Yeah, and then there's, I don't know. I, I guess we could talk about this book's animal-human relationship a little, Mm -hmm. because that's interesting. So the rats are the subject of a science, the rats and some of the mice are the subject of a science experiment that makes them different. It makes them like rat-human hybrids, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, All you know is that there's some kind of DNA that was injected into them. It made their lifespan way longer. It made them as smart or smarter than humans. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're able to figure out how to escape the lab, they find an abandoned mansion with a library. They start reading all these classic books, and they learn how to build things. They get lucky in a lot of ways. You, one, one thing that's fun is that they run into all these problems, existential problems, mm. because of what they are. And the, the main thing is that they have this little cave, this giant cave under the rose bush that they built and equipped with electric lights and they're stealing power from a local farmhouse. And they're taking all the food they need. And the moral issue they have is that they're just thieves. And they're like, we can't just be thieves. We have to figure out, like, that's, it's not good. It's not good, and it's going to catch up to us someday. Um, someone just has to stumble onto what we're doing, and the scientists will find us again, or someone will find us, and they'll destroy us. We have a plan to become not thieves. We're going to grow our own food. We're going to... We are not rats anymore, whatever we are. Mm-hmm. We're not just rats. We're certainly not humans. There's no place for us in either world. We're going to have to create our own. So that's, again, that's another part of the book's loneliness is these rats, they don't have, they don't fit into any story. Right. They're trying to figure out what their story should be. They've read all these human books. They're using human technology adapted to a rat level, and they're going to figure out how to live on their own. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, and then you have the rat character who is like, hey, guys, we've got a good thing here. We actually don't. Let's not be high-minded about this. Let's just mm-hmm. take a little bit of electricity and a little bit of grain, and mm-hmm. we can we can live this way. There's no reason for us to, in some sort of falsely idealistic way, try and build our own civilization from scratch when we can take a little bit of human civilization. 
And that character, I think in the Don Bluth movie is basically just the villain. That's right. But it's not actually that bifurcated. It's like, eh, he's got a point, but also he didn't stick around long enough to make it. And maybe he doesn't have a point. He's not demonized. You know, it's, it's just, again, it's not what a lifetime diet of Marvel movies will lead your child to expect. It's not like over here is the he- virtuous hero that mm-hmm. absolutely has the right answer. And over here is the craven villain who wants to do the worst thing ever. It's just, this is an ideological battle of wills and one person thinks one thing or one rat thinks one thing, one rat thinks another. Yeah. We know what side we we sympathize with, but it's not, we don't largely demonize the opposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, we, we feel some sympathy for them when they probably come to a bad end. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that this book has a theme? And do the Rats of Nim serve a thematic purpose? Are they a commentary on human technology, on science overstepping its bounds, on ethics? Are they any kind of commentary like that? Because I'm struggling here to think whether or not I really think they are. Yeah, I don't know that he's not heavy-handed about it, that's for sure. He he doesn't want you to put down the book and say, well, I learned X. (laughs) No, he's not that kind of author. He more just wants you to undergo the process and come to the other side of it and have an interesting little story and some feelings to go along with that story. So he wants to say something, I suppose, about what marks a civilization. But, but even there, it's not clear that Jenner's point of view is so darn terrible. Mm -hmm. And Nicodemus's point of view is so darn virtuous. It's just more, well, these are the kinds of discussions we have as we figure out what makes a civilization or what makes a Mm -hmm. people group. It doesn't villainize the doctors who are Frankensteining these rats. They're not turned into like the high evolutionary from Guardians of the Galaxy (laughs) 3. They're not maniacal villains. They don't come to some kind of bad end. You could argue maybe, and I'm sure climate activists have, that there's something about the kind of what, blase apathy of man towards creation the fact that most humans just don't care one way or another and are going to mow down mrs frisbee's home but again the humans aren't overly demonized they're just doing what they do and and our animal characters don't really feel badly towards them they just regard them as these alien yeah they, they, they present a number of threats like everything in the world presents a number of threats that have to be avoided right the owl under the wrong circumstances if you're in the underbrush of the woods at night He's a terrible threat. He's only a friend because you are an ally because you have the right connection at the right time. Right. And so, yeah, it's just not simple. It's not really, there isn't a villain. No, the closest thing is the cat. Right. And the cat is just being a cat. Right. Even the cat's not, the rats don't kill him. They just drug him to sleep. Yeah. I always want to see if if there's a theme, it's pragmatism or real politic or something like that, which is kind of a remarkable theme for a children's book. but. It's just like, well, these are the kinds of things you have to do in life if you're going to get along and protect what's valuable to you. Yeah. In fact, I think if you wanted to accuse the book of anything, you would accuse it of moral naivete Mm. because no one has dark intentions. Right. Not that you know of. Right. And honestly, the silver crown is the same way. And 
that really undermines uh, The Silver Crown, which is a much weaker novel, although I really enjoyed it, but it has a lot of flaws. If we were ever to discuss it, it would be easy to discuss a lot of flaws and plots, a lot of sort of failures to land the plane. I say this even though I don't not recommend it. I enjoyed reading it or listening to it recently. But it was a marked thing that even though it was a book with much more overt villainy, Mm -hmm. there ended up being no villains. So at least not in a typical sense. Right. And this book just, this, but I think, yeah, if that would, if you're going to take issue with anything, and I don't think you have to, it would be that no one has bad intentions. Right. They just have natural intentions. Right. Farmer's going to farm. Cat's going to catch mice and rats. And the owl's going to hunt. And you can't really blame something for acting in its nature. It's scientists are going to do experiments. And so that's the moral universe of the book. And that's the only, I'm not even going to, that's a weakness of a worldview. Mm-hmm. Is it a weakness of this book? I don't know. This book is like doing its own single thing. So yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think thing. if you if this guy had wrote written 50 books and your child became obsessed with that mm-hmm. book, with those 50 books and that worldview yeah. was dominant in all of them, then I might feel bothered. But as a kind of one color on a palette of mm-hmm. someone's reading diet, to come to egregiously mix my metaphors there, it's it doesn't bother me. No. Just like the melancholy, if that was all that your kid was into, would probably be a warning sign or something or danger, right. danger, Will Robinson. But one book with this kind of melancholy isn't going to mm-hmm. a, an emo kid make, I don't think. No. So. No, I don't think so. Especially as hard-edged in, as this book is in terms of got to live your life, sort of realism, mm-hmm. sort of a sense of practicality. <laughs> Right. Like the book, everything in the book, in the plot is so, is solved in such a nuts and bolts kind of way. Right. But not in a way that's, it's in a way that's satisfying. Yeah, it is a satisfying book. And it is, I hope we haven't made it sound like too much of a philosophical meditation or too much of it a, isn't. it is an adventure novel. It is dryly humorless. It's or humorless, <laughs> dryly humorous. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is, it, it's not without humor. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have jokes or mm-hmm. characters that are overtly funny, but there's a lot, especially for an adult, to just enjoy in the characterization and the descriptions yeah, and stuff. Yeah. He's got a certain wit, very, very, very dry wit to the way that he writes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an Aunt Roll doll or something like that. But <laughs> it's a fun book. The A large portion of the book is just concerned with the story of the rats of Nim escaping from the lab where they are essentially created. And that's just a fun adventure story in and of itself it's it's really fun it's creepy is not quite the right word but it feels dark and sad and dangerous and Mm -hmm. you just you do feel a lot of sympathy yeah for these rats and mice created and caged and trying to get to figure out what they are and live a life of their own yeah it's almost like if you just made everyone you told this same story with humans you'd be forced to make all kinds of moral judgments and like, obviously you can't have a story about a corporation experimenting on humans without us Mm -hmm. reading so many things into that. But because all the characters are animals, you can have a certain distance from the material that's actually helpful and fun to be able to tell a story kind of of alienation and existential terror and stuff, but not to have it be so alienated and so terrible 
that you feel like it's making some kind of grand nihilistic statement. It's just more like, hey, this is how animal life is. And you can extrapolate a little bit into your human life, but you can also be thankful that your human life is probably a lot better than, <laughs> yeah. than this life. Yeah. And I keep comparing it in my mind uh, to, of all things, not that I've actually really read any, maybe I read one, but like a, like a, almost a Jean Le Carre novel or something, cold, those sort of Cold War stories of huh. gray little men in business suits that do their spy craft and kind of have to mm-hmm. make pragmatic decisions and no one's really a hero no one's really a villain they're just all playing a grand game of espionage that has very little james bondian sex or violence just sort of like well you made a decision here and then three people got killed over there and then you transferred a paper to this guy but then you saw the downside of it's almost that sort of feeling but the thing about those novels is that they generally are angry at the system or whatever system, right? th- that brought us to this. This book is able mm-hmm. to be a little bit more hands off in terms of having any kind of larger moral, which I think is nice. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that's how life works. Yeah. I think another good quality of this book is the quality of unopened doors. Mm-hmm. You just feel like this is a big world. You could spend a lot more time with almost any given character. You feel like you know everyone, and, and yet you hardly got to know them. You feel like, oh, I like spending time with the kids. Timothy is a really interesting character. I bet he's going to grow up to be pretty interesting. I wonder if he'll survive. Right. Because he's a sickly little mouse boy. Um, or what will he do? And you just feel like you, I feel like you wonder that about most of the characters that you meet. And it's, they just stick in your minds as their own little people. They've got some, what, interiority somehow. Mm-hmm. You just kind of. It just feels like this world exists somewhere, like it keeps on going. Yeah, you're making me think of an ongoing argument I have with a friend of mine over whether the style of British television or American television is better in that a BBC series will often be like series, they call seasons series there, series Mm -hmm. one, and it'll be three episodes, series two, three episodes, and then they'll have a Christmas special or something, and then that's it, and they never make anymore and my friend finds that Mm -hmm. incredibly frustrating because he's like you love these characters you love this world you want more and then compare it to something like the american office that went for Mm -hmm. 11 seasons thoroughly wrung out every idea every character Mm -hmm. every avenue you could explore every combination of characters my friend really likes that he's like well yeah it's too much and by the end i resent it but i'd rather have too much of a good thing than not enough of a good thing and i'm exactly the opposite i'm like the fun is that my mind gets to wander over what could have happened or what should have happened mm-hmm. or what else I'd like to see. I'd rather have too little of a good thing than too much of a good thing. And I think this book is the perfect encapsulation of that sort of thing. Like you do almost feel like a criticism of the book is that it should be 300 more pages or there should be more in the series or something like you want more, <laughs> you really want yeah. more. And yet that's a del- delightful feeling. Yes. Like, this didn't just get turned into some franchise that got hammered into the ground and every question got answered and every avenue got explored. And yeah. so your mind can just wander and enjoy speculating whatever happened to those rats in them. Yeah. Until Netflix makes their inevitable series, which I think they're doing. I'm sure that they are. I don't know about that. But yeah, anything else about this book? I don't think so. It's a good book. I like it really a lot. good. Yeah. How many mouse satchels out of 4,000 would you give it? 
I'd probably give it like, I don't know. I might give it 3,900. Yeah. Somewhere up there. Yeah. I was actually thinking about just giving it 4,000 because it's kind of perfect. And it's not overly ambitious. It doesn't bite off more than it could chew. No. It doesn't try to do a thousand things, but no. the few things that it does, it does incredibly well. It really does. It really sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost hard to put your finger on. You can imagine a book almost exactly like this that you just wouldn't care at all about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I don't know what it is that makes this one work. I do. We've talked about some of it, but. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's something special. Yeah. It really is. It's not quite it's not quite the same thing as Watership Down, although that is the easiest comparison point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Watership Down is much more expansive and truly mythological, I would say, mm-hmm. even though it has some of the same feeling of, oh, this is just the brevity of animal life and it's just it's hard being a rabbit. Watership Down is much more romantic. Yes. And this movie is not. This book. This movie. Yeah. <laughs> this book is not. Yeah. At the end of the day, Richard Adams, is that what That's Richard right. done? He actually loves his characters, and he wants you to love his characters. And uh-huh. he, he has some sentimental feeling, even though the book is not overly sentimental. He does right. have some sentiment for mm-hmm. his world and for his characters. Mm-hmm. You're really not sure whether O'Brien does or not. I think he does. I think, oh, he, I think, I, I think he does. He, yeah. like, he likes Mrs. Frisbee and stuff. But he doesn't. he's okay just leaving it ambiguous whether one of the most likable protagonists even lived through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty not ambiguous, actually. It's pretty <laughs> like you're just supposed to know that he died. And be very sad. And be very sad. But also, he's okay never confirming it for you, which I can imagine for the wrong sort of reader being very frustrating. Oh, man. There's a couple of decisions like that in this book where you don't know what happens to the quote-unquote villain. The, uh, or you do. You Again, you're 90% sure. You're 90% sure. But he's yeah. not, he doesn't bother to just give you that extra 10% so you can just put the thought to bed in your mind. Well, the thing is that he leaves you in from the perspective of Mrs. Frisbee and the rats. And right. They are limited. Even the rats as super rats are limited in what they can control or know. And they just have to be okay with that. Right. It's a special book. Read it or listen to it. It won't take long. Yeah. Read it to your kids. Yeah. Don't let anything we've been saying about the more melancholy or dark aspects put you off. It's not an, an appropriate book. Oh, no. I would say even the early Harry Potter books are oh, man. Much, much more violent yeah, and yeah, scary yeah. than this book is. Yep. It's all sort of very gentle undercurrents, the sorts mm-hmm. of things we're talking about. It's, it's yeah. there, and for a sensitive sort of kid, they might really tune into certain frequencies, but it, not because he's blasting them with anything too loudly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you want to blast us with cash loudly, go to patreon.com forward slash sign of sanity loud or quiet. It's your choice, but you can certainly blast us with cash there. And I think that's all we have to say on the matter. Yeah. Until, oh, we're doing Wizard of Oz by Frank L. Baum next time. L. Frank. Or L. Frank Baum. Yeah. Yeah. L. Baum Frank. L. Baum Frank. Me, L. Baum Frank. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a writer of your... (laughs) I am wrote about a wizard, not the Wizard of Gore. There's a movie called Wizard of Gore. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like some sleazy 70s movie. I've never seen it, but I'm just familiar with it as a title. (laughs) The Wizard of Gore. We're all out of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Until next time. Stay fantastic. Stay fantastic.